I heard him say the Lord is good and all the time. Let's try it one more time. God is good and all the time. That is the key element. If I were to do the, the, the element table of the kingdom, the very first element of the kingdom of God is the understanding that God is good. Because if we get that part wrong, it doesn't matter what all the other elements say. Because most of us, especially in Western churches, have been taught that God's good when we do good. And when we don't do good, he cannot wait to smack us with his stick from his big white uh, chair that he lives on in the sky. And the truth of it is, all that's a bunch of hogwash. He's always good. He's always been good. I heard, a, I was listening to a, a theologian yesterday some, as is my habit sometimes to do. And he said... What the Bible says is this, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But what we've been taught is God was so angry that he killed his only begotten son. And that's what we're taught. That's what the Western church teaches. But it was never that way. It's not what the original uh, writer of John tried to convey. It's certainly not what God wanted to convey through his son. And it's not what any of the early church fathers believed. That mess didn't even get, didn't get passed on until hundreds of years later. And it was just a misunderstanding that God was mad, so he had to kill Jesus. He wasn't mad. The Bible says that God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself. I also shared another post that I read this morning um, that a friend of mine shared. And it said, um, we sometimes have the picture of God uh, loving the world in this way, that he sits on his chair and he distributes love. But the real picture of, of the love of God is Jesus wrapped in a towel washing his disciples' feet. That's, pic that's the picture of love. So... God is good. He's good all the time, not just as a phrase, not just as a cliche, but as an, as an everlasting reality. God is good all the time and all the time. When my heart's broken, God is good. When I can't seem to make it from day to day, God is good. When the prognosis of my health is not good, God is still good. When I prayed for it and it doesn't seem to be manifesting, God, God is, come on somebody, when I've begged him and I've pleaded and I've fasted and I've prayed and I've begged and I've pleaded and I've fasted and I've prayed and I still don't see an answer, I have determined within myself that it does not matter what the circumstances say, I have settled within the foundation, within the core of my being that God is good. I will not lessen my theology to match my experience. What we do is we lessen our theology. The, I taught David yesterday. I was teaching him about theologies. And ology just means the study of, and theo is God. Theology is simply the study of God. I will not reduce my understanding of God to match my experience. What I will do is hold God in his own truth that says he's always good and allow for my experience to catch up with that reality. I will not bring him down to my experience. My experience is going to catch up to his reality. And the reality is he's always good. Well, if God's always good, why is there so much bad in the world? I don't know. You tell me that. I don't know why this is a question that is so hard for preachers to answer. Here's the reason. God told Adam and Eve. This is the very simple, very true answer. He said, hey, guys, I built you a garden. What do you think about it? You like it? It's beautiful, right? You can eat of all the trees except the one. Don't touch that one. Don't eat of it. That one's mine. Maybe they touched a tithe that wasn't theirs to touch. But anyways, that's besides the point. And then he says this. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to reproduce because I like you when I created you. I said you're good. So I'd like for you to reproduce. And they said, now father, that's a great idea. And, and then he told them how, and, he, and they said, that's even a better idea. And then, and then he said, uh, I want you to reproduce. I want you to multiply and I want you to uh, replenish the earth. Also, there's one more word I'm going to give you. I'm going to hand it to you because it belongs to me, but because I trust you, because you have my heart, I'm going to give it to you. It's this little word we like to throw around that we don't really understand what it means, but it has never been rescinded. It's the word dominion. Come on. Have dominion. That's what he said, literally, have dominion. As in, here's dominion, I have it because it belongs to me, I'm going to give it to you as a gift. So, have dominion. And, and as the, the father of the human race took it and said, okay, father, I'll have it. What we've done with that dominion is why we find ourselves in the position and in the condition, in the chaos that we're in. And we like to sit back on our uh, uh, laurels and blame God for bad happening in the world when he never took back the dominion. The dominion belongs to us. 
He's waiting for one holy human family to come together and say, wait a second. Sin, sin was eradicated by Jesus. Death was eradicated by Jesus. The curse was eradicated by Jesus. But it still has influence in the world. And the reason that it has influence is because we give it influence. And the reason that we give it influence is because we believe a lie rather than believing the truth. And what's the lie? God's good unless he's ticked off. And we look around and see bad things happening, such as this pandemic, whatever you want to call it. To me, the pandemic is not even the coronavirus. The pandemic is the fear that's been spread as a result of the virus. Do I, listen to me. I want you to hear me say this. I believe that there is a real virus, and I have seen it. In fact, I believe maybe that I had it back in February, January, because I couldn't stop coughing. I had all the symptoms for about five weeks. You're welcome. I probably coughed on you. I'm sorry. It's before I knew. It's before I knew, you know. You're welcome. I do believe that. What I do not believe is that, that this specific pandemic is so utterly bad that we need to shut down the earth over it. But what we've done is, now I don't want to talk politics, so don't get mad at me politically. Because I know we got people way on the left and people way on the right. Here's what, I, here's what I tend to think, whether it's the left wing or the right wing, they're both connected to the same bird. But it doesn't matter to me who's in the White House and it doesn't matter to me who's in the House of Representatives as much as who's in my house. Who is king and who's the king of my house? Now, yes, you can have a life that's determined to be a lot better based on who's in the White House or who's in whatever, but it doesn't matter whether it's Republican or Democrat or, or whatever. It doesn't matter if you live. Look, I, I don't believe that Jesus is a, is a Christian any more than he's an American. Now, now hear, what I'm, hear what I'm saying. Jesus would not know as a Christian. Christian means to be Christ-like. He's not Christ-like. He's Christ. So before you take my words apart from my spirit, but he's not that. He's not American. He loves America, but he doesn't love America more than he loves Afghanistan. Oh, man, now that got real tight right then. I don't know. For God, the Bible does not say, for God so loved a country that has not yet been invented. I'm sorry. I know this seems to burst your bubble. As a 20-year-old man, I sat in India because it's where I was was exactly 11 and a half hours in front of. In fact, when I called one time, I talked to mom, and uh, I said, hey, you're, you're talking to your future. Because I was uh, half a day ahead of him. But anyways, I was sitting out on a... I was sitting out on a, uh, we were in this compound. The compound protected us because there were militant Muslims in Hyderabad at the time. And in fact, I was on the phone one time um, outside of the compound and they came marching down the street with their machine guns. So I thought I might want to get back in that compound. So I ran as fast as I could and got in the compound. Is it okay if I sit down? I just want to make you as uncomfortable as humanly possible. Make sure you listen. Everybody listening. I sat, I sat on this, and it was probably, I don't know, 4, 5, or 6 o'clock in the morning. Just to say 5, 30, 6 o'clock. And the sun was, uh, the earth was beginning to lighten up. The sun hadn't risen yet. And I looked across the street where I was, if you want to call it a street. They have open sewage in the, back then in India. They do in some places now, too. And there was a man laying a brick. He was building a brick wall. And I looked at the guy, and I had my, I, I had a Walkman. I don't, if you're under 20, don't even ask. It's not even worth the time. It's not even worth the time. But anyways, I had a Walkman, and that was playing my CD. And I had it just right, because if you turn it, you know it skips and all that stuff. And I had it just right. So I didn't want to move. And the song that was being played was a song by a group called 4M. Also, don't ask about that. And the song, <laughs> the song was the center of the mark. And it says, it says, draw back your bow, let love go, shoot straight for the heart. Remember the song? I know you remember. We were big 4M. And with all of your might, set your sight. And, and, and uh, Holly, I mean, uh, Daniel and Karen and Jim in our church, they used to go to our church years ago. They used to sing it. And man, it was just so beautiful. And I'm listening to this song and I'm looking at that guy and the thought dawned on me. There's not been one second of this man's life that I've ever thought about him. So at the exact same time, the thought came to me and there's not been one second of this man's life that God has not been intimately acquainted with every breath that he's ever had. And in that moment, God gave me the gift of having a world perspective of his kingdom rather than a United States American perspective. I think that God loves the United States, so don't, don't mishear me. I think, in fact, you know, this, this Monday we'll celebrate. Celebrate's probably not the right word, but for lack of a better word, Memorial Day, where people that have given their lives for their cause, for what, what, for what used to be freedom and what is now, you know, is maintaining, you know, whatever the government wants us to maintain. But that's what we're going to celebrate. And yet, God is not American. This ain't what I'm preaching today, so don't get too tight on me. Do you know, just, if you need to take a bathroom break while I'm saying this part, just come back in about three minutes. He loves us all, and he's always good, and he's good to everybody, and his chosen people is his people. In fact, the coming of Jesus was not to change God's mind about us. The coming of Jesus was to change our minds about God. 
Because through the generations before Jesus came, we believed so many ugly things about him. That he was a killer, that he was fierce, that he was ugly, and all these other things. I don't want to qualify theologically this morning. I could, but it would take a, a lot more time than you've got to sit here. But Jesus, Father decided one day, he's like, you know what? I want, to, I want them to see exactly what I look like. They've seen me in bits and pieces, and they see me in parts. But they need to see just exactly what I'm like. And the Bible says in the King James, if you like that version, that Jesus was the express image of the Father. The express image, the perfect reflection. The way that I like to put it in, in language in 2020, Jesus was everything that the Father had to say about himself. Or maybe even further down in May of 2020, Jesus is God's selfie. If, G, if God had a phone and had taken a picture of himself and you looked at it, you'd be like, whoa. Father looks just like Jesus. How do you know that? Because Jesus says, I do nothing except what I see my father do. And I speak nothing except what I hear my father say. When you've seen that, he, he told the disciples one day, he said, where are you going? I'm going to the father. You know the way. How can we know the way? And what's the father look like? And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you don't know? When you've seen me, you've seen the father. Yes. Now I got a question for you. How many times did you see Jesus getting ticked off and beating people up? And don't go to flipping tables and stuff. That was not about beating people up. That was about what happens in a lot in the United States. That was about commercial religi religiosity. That's what that was about. And Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, which is a house of communion, a house where we, where we speak and walk. Why is it that? Because that's what it was in the beginning. When the voice of the Lord God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, that's what he wanted back. My house shall be called, but you've made it a den of thieves. And so he turned over the table of the money chasers. He drove them out with a whip. But Jesus didn't have, Jesus didn't have a bad attitude. And he certainly wasn't angry at everybody. If, if he'd have been angry at anybody, he'd have been the man that spit in his face and pulled the beard from his face. If he'd have been angry at anybody when he's dropping, bleeding out his last ounce of blood, when his tongue begins to swell and stick to the roof of his mouth, when they're coming to get ready to break his knees, although it didn't have to happen, that prophecy would be fulfilled. But what would happen was they would come when they're on the cross and they would break their legs so they couldn't push up anymore, so they couldn't get oxygen. And what happened by crucifixion, ultimately they would suffocate. In fact, it happened so fast to Jesus that when they came and begged the body of Jesus, they were like, wait a minute, well, he's already dead. He's only been up there a few hours. Well, go check back and see. And they came back and said, yeah, he's dead. And he said, well, you can have the body. And there's a good mystery in that because the enemy will give you the body of Christ all day as long as he can't see. As long as his hands can't move, as long as his feet don't move, as long as he can't feel. Oh, you can have the body now as long as the body's dead. But the enemy is also very well terrified of the body of Christ that rises up with the power of the Holy Spirit. And brings resurrection to everything around. So maybe I should just leave that there. God is good. If you leave this place and you never come back, I want this to be ingrained, burned, burned into your, burned into your mind. God is good. He's always good. And when bad things happen, God's still good. Secondarily, when you see God as he is, then you can begin to see yourself as you really are. And here's what you are. If you're made in his image, you have, you have the, the unique gift as a human being of being made in, in father's image. Animals are not made in his image. The earth's not made in his image, but mankind is made in his image. And what is father God? The very first thing that we see about God in the beginning, God did what? In the beginning, God, in, in, and if we're made in his likeness and his image, and he's a creator, that it's, if it's true to be said of him that he's a creator and we're made in his image and his likeness, then there should be in, within us innately the ability to, uh -huh, to create. This is a lesson this morning, I'm sorry. We should have within ourselves the ability to create. So when you look around and say, why are bad things happening to good people? My question would be, why are you in the middle of it and not doing something about it? Maybe the fact that you noticed it is God's wake-up call to say, hey, buddy, I put you in charge down there, so fix it. We don't like that because then, then we have to take responsibility. Why you got me teaching this morning? This ain't what I wanted to do. God is good all the time. All the time. All the time. He's always good. He's always good. I had someone ask me, Recently, he's one of my best friends. If God's good, why did my father die? I prayed for him to be healed, and I said, he is healed. The problem is, we live in time and space continuum. 
So when a human being dies, as we understand it, Jesus didn't even call it that. He called it sleeping. When a human being dies, he doesn't cease to be with God. He ceases to be with us in human form, in flesh. I prayed that God would heal my father. I said, he did heal him. Even in your church, on the corner of town, they preach that in heaven, there is no sickness. So I would have to say, God healed your daddy. The issue is, he didn't heal him in the realm you wanted him to heal him in. And the reason that's an issue is because we haven't taken our kingdom mandate to heart. Where Jesus said, boys, when you pray, every time you pray, pray like this. Thy kingdom, thy will be done, just like it is in heaven. That's the, that is the kingdom mandate. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom means the royalty, the rule, the realm, and the reign of God. I want the, you've heard me say this. The kingdom come and your will be done. His will is for you to, 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 to look just like him. Your, his will is for you to be healthy. I don't want to get too worked up. His will is for you to, Paul even said, or the New Testament writers of James said, I would that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Amen. He's good. And when bad things happen around you, be the catalyst for change in your sphere of influence. The Lord was, I've been up since 3.30 this morning. I thought I heard a bell ring. We don't have bells in our house, and obviously that makes me get up. The first thing I thought was, is this like God trying to tell me something? And the second thing I thought was, Rachel just threw something up in her fan and it hit the globe of her lamp and she's laying in glass. That wasn't the case either. The third thing I thought was there's a car that came through our house because if you know me for long enough, we've lived in the same house for 16 years. There have been 19 wrecks. That's not an exaggeration. 19 accidents at my house. I live in a really bad curve. We were going to put up some, some rails, some concrete barriers and they told us if we did that and somebody wrecked into them, even if they were like, say, drunk driving, they could sue us. I said, well, we'll just let them wreck and break more trees in the fence and all the other stuff. True. Went and sat on my couch. And the Lord says to me this. I had just had a dream. And in the dream, I won't go into the dream. The Lord speaks to me a lot in dreams. He may speak, maybe he speaks to all of you. He speaks to me a lot in dreams. Probably because he knows if I'm dreaming, then, you know, when I wake up, then I'll say, well, that was really cool what you just told me. And I won't filter it through my own mind. But... I had a dream and he said, this is a non-negotiable from this day forward. You better listen to me, especially those of you that go here. This is a non-negotiable from this day forward. From this day forward, you are to walk in and release the prophetic every time you take that platform. These exact words to me. Because the Lord knows that I, as I walk in the office of a pastor, but really my calling is more prophetic and apostolic. I'm really, I'm really supposed to be helping plant churches across the nations, and I've done that before, and I'll do it again. But it's hard for someone that has that, that calling to walk in the, because a pastor is thinking about, man, I don't want to offend the sheep, and I don't want to hurt anybody, and I don't want to, it's not really hurting anybody. I don't want to scare any, any of the new people, you know, when God gets weird. I think that a lot, actually. In fact, you can tell if something weird's about to happen, the people on the stage, you know, and they're like, you know, and I give the little wink, wink to Barbie, like, get to the door, don't let him leave, lock him in. But the crazy thing is when the weird stuff begins to happen, we become very uncomfortable with the spirit who is called the comforter. He's the comforter. Jesus said, I'll send you another comforter. And it's the Holy Spirit. And when he gets to move in a service, you cannot program him into a service. It just doesn't work. And I've tried it, man. I've tried. I've thought this. Well, Lord, if I can program it to be done at 1210 or 1215 instead of 12 o'clock, I gave you an extra 10 or 15 minutes. And the Lord's like, that don't work for me. Well, Lord, we'll do, we'll, instead of doing three songs, you know, two fast songs, a slow song and throw in a hymn every once in a while, we're going to do five songs. And the Lord says, yeah, that's cool, but that don't work for me. The Lord, every time that you try to make a box and fit God into it, he's perfectly happy destroying our little box. And he has no issue with us being uncomfortable with what he's doing. I really am going somewhere. It's going to help you if you'll just bear with me and hang on. We're going to get safety belts uh, attached to every one of these seats for future services. So when it gets real bumpy, you can just fasten your safety belt and hang on. But here's what's going to happen in the, in the coming days. It's a lot of what you've already heard this morning. You heard, you've heard of one person who talked about I wasn't able to have a baby. They told me I had low chances and now I'm walking with the living life inside of me. You heard that. 
Did you hear that? Did you hear another person walk or the same person walk and say, oh, and by the way, my father had dealt with cancer, but now he's got scans in the body and, and it says there's no more cancer in there. Did you hear that? Am I the only person that heard it? Did you hear another woman that walked up and said, I totaled the car, literally totally, it should not have walked away. And I walked up essentially without it, with just a few scratches. And in the midst of it, I hear the father saying, I always come. It's funny, somebody asked me one time, when's the second coming of Jesus? I said, it must have been thousands of years ago, because he comes all the time. Every time I call for him, he comes. I don't know when his second coming is. I don't know when his 20 millionth coming is, because every time I call him, that's what he does. He doesn't just come. He said, I am with them, and I want to be with them so much that I'll name myself Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. I want to be identified with my people. So he tells me this morning, from this day forward, when you take that platform... Releasing the prophetic is non-negotiable. You know, like, my, so, my, so my dad was, my dad was about 6'2", six 6'2 two, six two and a half, whatever. Essentially, he fluctuated, but about 250 to 300 pounds most of his life. He was a little lighter in his earlier days. Uh, but I was this big. And when daddy would call me in and sit down, I call him daddy when I think of him that way, because I was a little boy and he was, you know. And uh, if he said, Joshua, this is what we're going to do, you know what I said? Yes, sir. And if I didn't like it, you know what I said? Yes, sir. And if I didn't understand it, I said, yes, sir. And if it scared me out of my britches, as they say, I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you better know that going forward, the prophetic in this place, it is non-negotiable. It will be released. Yes, the real prophetic. Yes, I'm going to remember all of you that just clapped and said yes when it gets weird. I want, to, I want to talk to you just for a few minutes, and at the end we'll receive tithe and offering. But I'm going, to go, I'm going to give you the abbreviated version because I've got 10 pages of notes, and those notes are also the abbreviated version. Many of you have asked me, and, and everyone that's asked is on my email list now. You get my notes. You can have them. I don't sell them. You can, if you're interested in them, uh, I'll give them to you. You can study them. We are one week from celebrating Pentecost. Did you know that? Pentecost was 50 days after the resurrection. Think about this, 50 days. It, so you have seven sevens or, or seven completions or seven perfect or seven weeks and then the jubilee celebration on the 50th day. This was the birthday of the church. And here's what Jesus told his disciples. So 40 days after resurrection, Jesus says, hey boys, uh, I'm out of here. And he ascends into heaven. Do, you, do everybody know this story? Can I just kind of, can I just sort of set the tone and then we'll go into this? Is this okay? By the way, I'm going to... I'm going to ascend into heaven. They said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to the Father. You can't go now, but later you can come with me. I'm going to show you the way. How can you show us the way? We don't know the way. I'm the way. That's when he said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. All right? He ascends to the Father. He says, oh, but by the way, I want you to do me a favor. You guys stay in Jerusalem. You talking about this same place where they killed you like 40 days ago? Yeah, it's the same place, but also remember, it was only 40 days ago, but 37 days ago, I got up out the grave. And by the way, when I got up out of the grave, there were many of the prophets of the Old Testament that got up and walked with me in Jerusalem and were seen by many. Did you know that? Most people don't know that. It's in your Bible. Not only did Jesus raise from the dead, he raised captivity captive, but in Jerusalem, in this feast, many of the, oh, I would say probably Moses and Elijah, they were literally seen by, literally seen by literal Jews in, in their literal, like, man, who's that dude walking with the staff, you know? <laughs> Who is that? That was Moses? How cool. Hey, Moses, what's up? This happened for 40 days, 37 days, 40 days. Did you know that? How many people knew that? How many people didn't know that, that there were other people besides Jesus that got up when he rose from the dead? I'm going to give you another one. Did you know that when Jesus died, according to Paul, you died with him. And when Jesus got up, according to Paul, you got up with him. Anyway, so Jesus says, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem. Until you be, and this is the King James words, endued with power from on high. Endued. With power from on high. So the disciples say, that's what we're going to do. So Jesus is taken up into heaven. The, the Bible says that the, the, he's received into the clouds. That's the same cloud as the great cloud of witnesses. It's the same cloud that Paul uses when he says, it, there, there surrounds us a great cloud of witnesses. Remember that? We are amphitheater roundabout, surroundabout, encompassed roundabout, is the King James Version, was such a great cloud of witnesses. It wasn't a cumulus or a serious cloud that came up and Jesus did this. And no, no, no. The family snatched him up into the realm of the spirit, and then he wasn't seen. And they go up into an upper room, and they're sitting around for, for days, and they don't know how long they're going to be there. 
Some theologians actually think they were in the temple, in an upper room in a temple, but they're in, a, in an upper room there. 500 of them gathered together. And over the next 10 days, 380 of them decide, man, church was long today. I'm leaving. <laughs> See what I did? I just got you on a hook. Now, if you leave, you feel guilty. <laughs> God doesn't do that, but I do. I'm just kidding. Yeah, they're like, man, what are we waiting on? What are we waiting on? And Peter said, I don't know. It's a promise. What's it look like? Who knows? Think about Noah. What, when, when God told Noah to build an ark, Noah said, hey, man, I'll build it. But what's it look like? And the Lord says, you'll know when it's done. Just go gather materials. I mean, you got to think about this. When we think of ark, we know what boats are and all the other stuff. It makes sense to us. How much sense do you think it made to Noah to be the first guy to have to build this big old massive ship? And some people say that's allegory. That's besides the point. What's the promise look like? We don't know. When's the promise coming? We don't know. But he said to wait and he said it's coming. And he's always been faithful to his word. So that's what we're going to do. And let's pick it up right here. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, as the King James, I'm New American Standard, they were all together in one place and suddenly, somebody say suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. I'm going to talk to you today just for the next few minutes. A sound from heaven, a movement in the spirit, and a word in the earth. And suddenly there came a noise from heaven, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were, now I have heard people try to speak in tongues, and I know the Spirit was not giving them utterance. It was like utterance. Like you just disturbed everything God was doing. You need to sit down with that. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from how many nations? Every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. I talked, to the, I talked about G last week. G can speak a language with some of his people that I don't speak. Some of you go to places that I'll never be invited to. And, and you know a language that I'm not aware of. In fact, they even have a Bible now that speaks their language. Have you ever heard of the GZT Bible? It is amazing. I think the little chief likes it, so we're leaving it there. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these guys who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each one of us hear them in our own language into which one we were born? And he goes through the list of them. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity. I like that. That is, that, that is the... That is where we are. That's where we are in the church right now. That's where we're going to be. When, when the spirit takes over, we're, we're torn between amazement and perplexity. Amazed at what God's doing. Perplexed because we've never seen this before. Amazed at what we feel and the power that seems to be surging through our hearts and our minds. But perplexed because we don't know how everybody else around us is going to take this amazed because when we put our hands on people that are blind and we take our hands away now they can see but perplexed by the fact that we might lose our heads if we keep doing this am I talking to anybody it's this strange place in the kingdom where we're amazed and yet perplexed amazed at what God's doing perplexed at the response or the lack of response amazed and perplexed God never allows us to settle into a comfort area what does this saying mean? But others were mocking and saying, man, they're full of sweet wine. They got that duplin. <laughs> but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will... What days? I'm going to hit this just for a minute. King James says, and in the last days I will pour out of my spirit. Now Joel saw it prophetically and Peter said, this is that. Peter said that he was living in the last days. Why is it that every time there's a major pandemic in the earth, magically we're in the last days? Now don't get mad at me. Just hear me before you get mad at me. A lot of what church people want to do is they want to amen what they think they already know and they do not like being challenged with something that they don't already know. 
So just bear with me and don't get mad at me. Why is it that every time there's a major pandemic, a major anything, these are the last days. Oh my God, they're going to put a chip in my arm. You call, whew, listen, listen. If I had a pen, I'd drop it, so help me God. The only one that would hear it would be Big Chief. Why is it that every time there's, listen, I, I am 42 years old. I have lived 42 years, and if you count the months inside my mind, 43 plus years, most of my life in church. In fact, I was in, in church for so long that one time they had to pry me up off a pew because I had sat there for four and a half weeks. That's not true, but it felt like it. Tony will tell you, my big brother's right back there. How many, how many nights did we spend sleeping on pews? We used to, so we used to live in a place called Miller's Creek and we'd drive home. And uh, I don't know why they called it a, a creek because it should have been called Miller's Rushing River. Because every time we went home and it had rained, the river would overrun the bridge that was in our driveway that got up to that big house that was an hour and a half from Statesville away. And when we pulled down the first part of the driveway and saw the water, dad would throw the, listen to this, six kids, the Ford Escort. So help me God, this was a Ford Escort with six children, which is to say, mom, daddy's in his seat and he's chilling and mama's in her seat and she's chilling. And in the back seat that was this wide. There were four of us, and honest to God, they took the little cardboard piece that covers the hatchback out the car so Rebecca and Jeremy <laughs> could fit in there. And we drove an hour and a half one way. And if we saw water over the bridge, guess what the Bunn family did? We rode all the way back to Statesville and slept on the pews in the church. Is this true? Why do I do this? <laughs> It's true. We lived in church. I've lived in church my whole life. I understand. I understand. But there's one thing that's so true about God is you're going to live in a place of amazement and perplexity at all times. You will never become comfortable with your place in God. And just as soon as you become comfortable, he. And, and for 40, let's just say three years, every time there was a preacher that stood in our podium at our church years ago and said, I know who the Antichrist is. As God is my witness, and as, as serious as I'm talking to you, God showed me, who is it? It's Gorbachev. Why? Because the man had a birthmark on his forehead. I'm not lying. Does anybody remember who that guy is? Six people in here remember who he is. Okay, that's fine. Well, this was a Russian oligarch, and he had a he had a, like a, uh, a thing on his forehead for the USSR. And the man preached that he was the Antichrist because of this thing in his head. And every time there's a major pandemic, it's always, oh God, the world's coming to an end. We're going to have to get a chip in our head and a chip. Let me tell can I just help you real quick? Here's, here's what it is. Here's the mark in your head. The mark in your head is the mark of humanity that thinks like Adam. That is the mark. That's what the mark in your head is. Stop looking for a, a mark that's going to get stuck in your head. What that is, it produces fear. And when you live in fear, that's why bad happens around you. And you say, well, any good, good things, bad things happen to good people. Instead of saying, it won't happen. It ain't going to happen on my watch. And I'm going to declare the goodness of God. And I'm, I'm by myself right now all of a sudden. I'm going to stand in the goodness of God. I'm going to declare the goodness of God. I'm going to preach the goodness of God. And I'm not going to change my theology to match my experience. And for 43 years, every single time that anything happened, it happened with SARS and it happened with H1N1 and it happened with 9-11. I mean, it's every time there's a major, oh God, we're living the last days. And what it does is it creates in God's people a mentality of escapism that we were never supposed to have. You cannot find in the Bible, not one time throughout all of the Bible, where, where God sends his army to fight and to win a war and declare a victory and say, oh, this looks bad and sucks them out. There is no precedent for that. And yet every time that there's a major pandemic, we're looking like, oh God, this must be it. This is life. Why don't we stop doing that? Why don't we start declaring what Jesus had declared? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Because all it does is create fear. Are you denying that these are the last days? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I mean, I probably agree with Peter before I'm going to agree with you. And Peter said, this is that that was spoken of by Joel the prophet, that in the last days I would pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters would prophesy. Your old men would dream dreams, and your young men would... I had a dream last night. Is God calling me old? 
<laughs> Don't laugh, Jason. And, and young men will see visions. Here's what I could do. I could get up here today and I could bring my prophetic chart out and tell you why the world's coming to an end. Listen to me, listen to me. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if I was a betting man, I'd bet one of my precious guitars that my wife gave me, that in a year, everything that I tell you on this chart would have to be updated. I've been to them before and I've been to them in this city where they pull out their charts and they tell you, here's a, that's not a prophetic chart, that's a pathetic chart because all it does is produce fear. Well, after today, you can say you visited one time. I know I'm not making any friends, but somebody is going to have to stand and declare the truth. When the Lord told me that there would be, a, here's prophetically what I'm trying to declare to you. Jesus is king and Jesus rules and reigns this place. Psalms 24 says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And I just happen to believe that he's making a new heaven and a new earth. And, and by the way, the old heaven and the old earth that passed away, that's not talking about this natural planet. That's literally talking about the old heaven, which was exactly what was known as the church leadership of that day. They were the church leader and the temple was understood as the heaven of their day. Go look it up. Here's your, th here's, here's your study for you. That's what was known. That was known as heaven. And, 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 and the old earth was, was the, way they, the way they walked, the way they understood. They believed that the only country, the only nation that would ever be saved would be Israel. And Paul says in the New Testament. There is therefore now neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. Somebody's got to declare some truth. We've got to grow up and stop looking to get sucked out of here every single time there's a pandemic. Who's going to be here to free the world if we ain't? Who's going to stay here and say, no, I'm here because God put me here. And now if he takes me, fine, I'm good for that. If he, if he does whatever, that's perfectly fine. But until then, I'm not looking for him to get me out of here. He put me here on assignment. He put me here with a mandate to have dominion. And I'm going to have dominion. Yes. Amen. Oh, man. I, I just love when I get into situations like this. You walk out and you're like, I don't know if anybody's going to shake my hand. Not because of COVID. We'll do the elbow bump, but whatever. I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. This was that. It's already come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God, what was that? But God raised him up again, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. On the day of Pentecost, this is the passion. I'm going to read this. I'm going to get through notes and I'm out of here. I'm going to let you go. It was being fulfilled. All the disciples were gathered together in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind. The Aramaic also translate like the roar of a groaning spirit. They heard the roar of a groaning spirit. This mighty wind is for power. The breath of Jesus, the same breath that Jesus breathed into his disciples. Rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm, the roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. When's the last time we saw a pillar of fire? The same pillar that, of fire that led Israel from bondage into the promised land. The same pillar of fire manifested here to initiate a new beginning from a dead religious structure into the power life of the spirit. By the way, this is your Aramaic. If you ever want to read what the, what the Bible actually says in its original translation and what it means, I'm reading it to you. These are not my notes. It was as though each one had received his own personal pillar of fire that would empower him or her and lead him or her throughout his life. This was the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples, the one like me who would be sent by the Father and never leave them. Today, every believer who receives is indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. This was the birthday of the church of Jesus Christ. It separated into tongues and engulfed the, each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. A sound from heaven. Sound, that word, I, a sound from, and there was a sound from heaven. Here's the word. This is the word. Echoes. What's that word sound like? What's the word echo sound like? It sounds like the word echo. And what is Echo. 
Akos is the way it's pronounced in the original writing. It's, it means a loud echo or a roar. Literally what happened on the day of Pentecost was a continuation of what had happened some 50 days earlier. Jesus had gone into death and into hell and triumphed over death by death and he stood over his defeated foe taunting death with the victorious roar of oh death where is your sting? Oh grave where is your victory? And we see now 50 days later Jesus' followers are assembled in one place in one accord waiting on the promise of the Father. Here's the promise. It's Luke 24, 49. And I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise. Which, by the way, the promise is, in the Aramaic, I will send the kingdom or the rule on earth. That's what it means. The Father's promise would be the coming of the Holy Spirit to live in and empower His church. Hello, church. So stay here until the, in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you. In the waiting, they did not know. I'm going to read my notes and we'll get out of here. They did not know what they were waiting for. To them, it was an abstract promise with no time guarantee and no description. Just that they were to wait and it was promised of the Father. But it, wouldn't it be worth the wait? The same breath that went into the nostrils of Jesus' cold, dead body would be heard heard and would be enveloped or would envelop his followers. The same roar of victory that came from the voice of the line of the tribe of Judah was now echoing from heaven into the earth. The victorious one had chosen to declare and share his victory over sin and sickness and Satan with his whole human family. See at resurrection Jesus gets up from the tomb. And exactly 50 days later, there's an echo of the roar that was heard when the line of Judah came up from the dead. And he said, you know what? Here's the echo. It's still roaring in the heavens, but I want it to echo in the earth. Which is to say the victory that Jesus won over sin and Satan and sickness in the grave. I'm going to give it to my church as an engagement ring on the day of Pentecost. This is what happens on the day of Pentecost. The victorious one had chosen to declare and share his victory over sin and sickness and Satan with his family. And the echo was heard in time as he raised his voice in eternity. A sound from heaven was a movement in the spirit that released a word in the earth. It's more prophetic today than you might know. And the word echoes the victory of Jesus in every language of mankind, which is to say the echo of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is heard in every sphere of influence, in every language that is spoken then or every language that would ever be spoken. This would be reverberated. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Not just as a phrase, but, but as, as, a triumphant, as a triumphant victor with his foot on the, on the throat of Satan's sin and sickness and death. And he says, oh grave, where's your victory now? Jesus had to go into death covertly. Why did Jesus have to become a man? Was it because God was really ticked off of the earth and Jesus became a man so he could beg his father on our behalf not to kill us all? Absolutely not. Jesus had to become a man so that he could be, so he could taste of death. Because until Jesus becomes a man, death is not allowed in the presence of the Father. Death cannot come into the presence of Father. It cannot come into the glorious realm of Father God. And so the Father wanted so to redeem us from death. And the only way to do that is, here's what he did. It, take the picture of, anybody ever been fishing? Take the picture of, of, of a bait and, uh, and, uh, and put a worm on, on a bait and you throw, it into the, you throw it into the ocean or you throw it into the pond and a fish swallows the bait. And the fish thinks, man, I just won. It has no idea that what's about to happen is it's going to be jerked up out of that water. By the one who gave it the bait. Did you know in the Bible, in the Bible, in Psalms, I think it's chapter, is it 58 or Isaiah 58? The Bible says of Jesus that I saw him on the cross and he said, I am a worm, a no man. Jesus had to become a man so that covertly, undercover, he could go down into the jaws of death and blow the whole thing up from the inside out. It's the only way God could taste of death was to become man. And he became man-like so he could taste of death. But he rose from the dead so that those who had been living in death could be raised with him. And now we echo his victory in every sphere of influence of our lives. 
Resurrection, 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 resurrection. You think that when I tell you, but God, and talk about resurrection in your family, in your finance, you think that it's a catchphrase. No, it is a triumphant, victorious echo that I hear roaring from heavens that says they're going to have resurrection in their family, and they're going to have resurrection in their barren womb, and they're going to have resurrection in their finances, and they're going to have resurrection in their sphere of influence, and they're going to have, my God Almighty. We echo in the earth the roar from the line of Judah in the heavens. A sound from heaven was a movement in the spirit that released a word in the earth. And that word echoes the victory of Jesus in every language of mankind. His resurrection is not just an event, but a victory to be declared in every arena of life. Two years ago, I want to read this, and I'm, I, know, I know it's time to go. Two years ago on Pentecost Sunday, two years ago, 2018, the school, this is what I shared. The earmark of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was the people's togetherness. They were with one accord in one place. He did not come upon them, uh, upon them individually. He came upon them corporately. And, and after coming upon them corporately, after they heard a sound and after they received the spirit, then the fire divided and sat upon each of them individually. So when they would go their way, they would have the same spirit in them that Jesus had in him when he went on his way. But, this, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit did not happen individually. It happened corporately. Yes, the fire sat on each of them individually, but the sound from heaven was only released when they were in one accord in one place. The very first verse in chapter 2, the precedent is said, they were all in one accord. That's humathumadon. That's the word. Can you say it back to me real quick? That's the word. Humathumadon. It means this. It's a compound of, if you want to look in your strong concordance, it's G3674 and G2372. It means unanimously with one accord. Accord is a compound word derived from homos, which means the same, and thumos, which means passion. As if breathing hard. So the disciples were literally passionate about the same thing. They were breathing hard, passionately after the same thing. Their desire was unanimous. Their passion was as a collective. It is only as we learn to sacrifice our sacred individualism and become passionate about his promise, not to me, but to us, that we will see true power return to the church. Two years ago, I'm going to say it again. It's only as we learn to sacrifice or to put to death our sacred individuality, individualism, and become passionate about his promise to us. That's a spirit-filled church. A soul church is God loves you. God's going to help you. God's going to bless you. A person that comes thinking about the soul is God help me, God heal me, God bless me, God touch me, God bless me, God heal me, God touch me, God bless me. God. But a spirit church is Lord. How can you move through us? Bless us. Come upon all of us. That's why when people get up and ask for the mic, with very few exceptions, absolutely take the mic. This is not about me. This is about us. This is a, what's called the corporate anointing. Their desire was unanimous. Their passion was as a collective. It's only as we learn to sacrifice our sacred individuality that we will see the true power return to the church. Not self-help, get me through a day power, but real power ignited by the Holy Ghost. Listen, I'm going to say this. You need to hear it. There is a divine disturbance coming to the church. I said it two years ago. And it's good news. Maybe not so good for those who have profited from selling their self-help religion, but it is good news. When a disturbance comes, things change. A whirlwind always leaves something to ruin in its wake. But it also prepares the way for something new to be constructed in its place. The old way of doing church is coming quickly to an end. I said this two years ago. I don't need to be a better me. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to come all on all of us as we passionately await our collective destiny, which is to walk together in the power of the Holy Ghost, affecting us, the church, and our culture. Now, I'm just about finished. This morning I woke up, as I told you, around 3.30. I wandered through the house to find whatever that sound was. I did not go back to sleep, and I began to commune with the Lord. And I heard him tell me this. I do not want you to do the old thing better when you go back to church. I don't want you to go back and just do the old thing better. 
And the old thing was fine. I mean, it was good. I loved coming in and worshiping and singing and watching a few people get healed and all that stuff. That was wonderful. But the Lord, I'm just telling you, if you've ever believed, here's what he says. I don't want you to come to church and do the old thing better. This is a new day and there is a new way. I have caused things to stand still as a divine reset. Then he said, I want you to move in the prophetic every Sunday. It's non-negotiable. Do not back off from it. That's why I'm going a little harder than normal this morning. I'm the one that needs to fasten my safety belt. And I said to the Lord when he told me this, how do I know for sure this is what you're asking of me? And this is what he said to me. By the results. Judge it by the results. I know I've challenged some things that you believe. And that's okay. It's okay for you to say, Josh, I don't agree with you. I have no problem with that. I don't have any problem with that. It's okay for you to say, hey man, theologically, we ain't on the same, pl we ain't on the same plane. I don't see that. That's perfectly fine. Because the thing you're going to learn about me first is, before anything else, I'm a learner. When you stop learning, you stop growing, you, you know, you start dying. And you should always be able to be stretched and be able to grow. I can tell you there are things that I will preach with absolute certainty that the Lord has shown me that 20 years ago I would have said to you as heresy. Now, there, there was, Jesus came, he was born of a virgin, he died, he rose from the dead. All, I believe in those, so don't, don't think that. But there are certain things that I believe now that I didn't know 20 years ago. 25 and 30 years ago, I was looking to get out of here just like you were. And then I realized, well, well the Lord's got me here for a reason. As long as he's got me here, I'm not going to have my eye peeled over to the eastern sky for Jesus to step out and suck me out of here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to command his dominion here in the earth like he told me to do. I, I just want you to look. This, this is the collective faces of everybody. <laughs> it's almost comical. It's kind of scary because I'm the one up here. And yet I know what the Lord has told me to do. I know what my commission, my assignment is. I want you to walk out of here feeling empowered. Not empowered to be a better you, but empowered by the Holy Spirit to say, man, when death, death is terrified of me. I said last week, and I know some of you got shaken by it, when the, when, when, I won't call it, when the person stood up here and I said, this spirit is afraid of me. I didn't mean that to sound arrogant. I know that that spirit is afraid of me. I have no problem saying that. Remember the seven sons of Sceva that tried to cast out a devil? And, the, and they, they didn't know what they were. They, they had just done what they had heard the disciples do. And it worked for them some. Is that not crazy? Sometimes it worked, but this time it didn't. And they tried to cast out a devil of one man, and that devil whipped every one of them, sent them back bleeding to their daddy. And they came, uh, they came to, to Paul and said, man, we, what happened to us? Because when we went to that devil, the devil said, Jesus I know and Paul I know. Who are you? I want to talk to a generation of people whose name is known in hell. That when I, say, when I say Jennifer Fox, when I say Stephen Fox, when I say Jackie Steele, when I say Jason Lane, when I, whoever, when I say Joe Robbins, when I say Chris Walker, when I say, when I, whoever, when I say that, I want, oh God, man, when I say that name, all of heaven breaks forth in celebration and all of hell is beginning to, is beginning to shake and shudder with fear because they know they walk like their father and they talk like their father and they have the character of their father and they have the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and not only does he go before them, but goodness and mercy are behind them. I can't get to, death shudders. Death has never been afraid of a person with an escapist mentality. I'll say it again. I'll say it for those of you that want to pray for the sick and watch it actually happen. Death and sickness and sin and, and fear, it's not afraid of any human being that has an escapist mentality, which is to say, God, please get me out of here as soon as possible. What's a better testimony that God never let Daniel go into the lion's den or that being in the lion's den, he just gave him a big old fat 600 pound pillow for him to sleep on. You don't call Daniel's name except that he was Daniel in the lion's den. We don't call the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego except that they were three men thrown into a fire. And lo, I see fourth, four men, and the, good God, in the form of the fourth is likened to the Son of God. We don't call the name of Joseph except that after being thrown into the, in, sold by his brothers into slavery and then lied upon by Potiphar's wife and then finally ascending unto, and essentially taking the crown of Egypt because even, even Pharaoh wouldn't do anything without consulting first with Joseph. We wouldn't call his name if it hadn't been for his process. We wouldn't call the name of John the Baptist if he had not stood on the Jordan River and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of a couple. No. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We wouldn't call his name. 
We wouldn't call the name of Paul who was killed and came back to life, who was shipwrecked, who, by the way, thank God, he preached so long one time a dude fell out of a window. This is not a lie. Preached for so long, the dude fell asleep, plops out of the window. It's okay. Paul knew what he was. He just raised him back from the dead and probably said, get back in that pew, I ain't done. We don't call these people's names except that God put them in the position they're in, not to get out of there, but so that they can exact the resurrection of Jesus in that circumstance. That's what the miraculous is. That's what healing is. It's exacting what Jesus paid for on our behalf in that moment. And you can't do that if every single time something happens and you turn on the TV and they're doing their best on both sides of the, to, to terrify you to death and say, God, could you please just suck us out of here? No, I don't want you out of there. I put you there to have dominion. Now go have it. Here, listen to this. I want to give you a new sound. And there came a sound from heaven and it was the roar of the Lion of Judah. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that echoes all the way into eternity. But only so much as his sons and daughters are willing to open their mouth, step into a place of discomfort and say, he is not coming to suck us out. He's put us here to take dominion. Amen. Period. Amen. See, this is an experience talking right here. You always do the offering before this. Just kidding. I never have done this. Believe me, there's a whole lot more I do for money than this. You're more powerful than you think you are. You're full of his spirit. And I would say to you that I believe if the Lord gave me a word to say to stand on this stage and that releasing the prophetic was non-negotiable, then probably for you, every single one of you, when you go into your sphere of influence, the prophetic in your life should be non-negotiable. When you walk into work tomorrow, if you're allowed, if you're, I don't know what's even essential or not essential anymore, but if you walk into work tomorrow and things seem to be doing this, you have the prophetic mandate to say, no, not on my watch. It's not doing this. I declare the goodness of God. It's going to manifest right now. Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Everybody, I want you to do this. It's a collective sigh. Do I think that God can suck you out of your, if that's what he wants to do, I'm cool with it. Why would he have us run from a battle that he put us in the middle of that he's already won the victory for? And he just wants to see if we'll stand there and declare his victory in our, over, our, over our enemies. I do not want you to do the old thing better. This is a new day and there is a new way. I have caused things to stand still as a divine reset. Then he said, I want you to move in the prophetic every Sunday, every week, every time you take the stage and do not, capital, back off from it. Okay, Lord, how do I know that you're telling me this? By the results, judge it by the results. So here's quick, here's what I'm going to say. If you're sick and you hear my voice, I declare over your life prophetically to be made well. I'm not getting the oil. I'm not going to heebie-jeebie. I'm not going to shake my hand and I'm for all of it. I'm not doing it. I'm going to declare of you prophetically, the lion of the tribe of Judah roars and he roars this, this, I am the resurrection and I echo his resurrection in your situation right now. There is a sound from heaven and it is being heard in the earth. And I'll declare it until I'm not the only <laughs> Until there'll be a company of people that will unashamedly say, I don't care how foolish I look. I don't care how many friends I lose. I don't care who thinks I'm, I don't, I don't care what they think. I will echo the victory of the risen Lord Jesus for every day that I walk the earth. And I'm gonna, not just going to echo it one day and not the next. I will echo it prophetically and declare it in every circumstance into which I walk. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I will see the resurrection of Jesus Christ in my own life. I will declare, not only did he come to have a resurrection, he said, I am the resurrection and he's with me. So there's resurrection with me everywhere I go. I will drop with the anointing oil of the fragrance of the one who said, I have the keys of death and of hell. Lord, to the best of my Ability, and I know my ability is far from what I would like for it to be. And yet, you don't even ask me for ability. You just kind of ask for availability, and here I am. I have declared your word to these people. I know I've blown some minds, Lord, but let there be a generation. Let me live to see a generation that doesn't look to get taken out of every single battle that you put them in. 
but let me live to see a generation of people who walk with the anointing and the integrity and the character of their father. And that as they walk, every step they take, demons and devils and sickness and sin run. And let me not just live to see it, but permit me to be one of that company that does that. Lord, if I lose friends, so be it if I can have you. If I lose standing in the community, so be it if I can have you. If they talk about me and my family and make fun of this church, so be it as long as we can have you. We sing, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather, Lord, I'd rather have you than a big, a big fine church building and 5,000 people that sit like bumps on a log every week and make no difference in their community. I'd rather be a part of your company of sons that takes dominion and calls the sin and the sickness and the curse to run when we show up. I thank you publicly for what I carry, for whatever reason you entrusted to me, and I promise you, I will never take this platform or any other platform another day in my life without declaring your resurrection and your goodness and releasing the prophetic with every breath that I take, with every heartbeat. In Jesus' name.